Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. We read from Nehemiah chapter 9. Now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of Yahweh their God for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it they made confession and worshipped Yahweh their God. On the stairs of the Levites stood Jeshua, Bani, Kadmiel, Shebaniah, Buni, Sherebiah, Bani, and Kanani. And they cried out with a loud voice to Yahweh their God. Then the Levites, Jeshua, Kadmiel, Bani, Hashabaneah, Sherebiah, Hodiah, Shebaniah, and Pethahiah said, Stand up and bless Yahweh your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. You are Yahweh, you alone. You have made heaven the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them. And the host of heaven worships you. You are Yahweh, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you, and made with him the covenant to give to his offspring the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite, and the Girgashite. And you have kept your promise, for you are righteous. And you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt, and heard their cry at the Red Sea, and performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh, and all his servants, and all the people of his land, for you knew that they acted arrogantly against our fathers, and you made a name for yourself as it is to this day. And you divided the sea before them, so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land, and you cast their pursuers into the depths as a stone into mighty waters. By a pillar of cloud you led them in the day, and by a pillar of fire in the night, to light for them the way in which they should go. You came down on Mount Sinai, and spoke with them from heaven, and gave them right rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments. And you made known to them your holy Sabbath, and commanded them commandments and statutes and a law by Moses your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger, and brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst. And you told them to go in to possess the land that you had sworn to give them. But they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the words that you performed among them, but they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and did not forsake them. Even when they had made for themselves a golden calf and said, This is your God who brought you up out of Egypt, and had committed great blasphemies, you and your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not depart from them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way by which they should go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them, and did not withhold your manna from their mouth, and gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness, and they lacked nothing. 
Their clothes did not wear out, their feet did not swell. And you gave them kingdoms and peoples, and allotted to them every corner. So they took possession of the land of Sihon, king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, king of Bashan. You multiplied their children as the stars of heaven, and you brought them into the land that you had told their fathers to enter and possess. So the descendants went in and possessed the land, and you subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them into their hand with their kings and the peoples of the land, that they might do with them as they would. And they captured fortified cities and a rich land, and took possession of houses full of all good things, cisterns already hewn, vineyards, olive orchards, and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate, and were filled, and became fat, and delighted themselves in your great goodness. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you, and cast your law behind their back, and killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you. And they committed great blasphemies. Therefore you gave them into the hand of their enemies who made them suffer. And in the time of their suffering they cried out to you, and you heard them from heaven. And according to your great mercies you gave them saviors who saved them from the hand of their enemies. But after they had had rest, they did evil again before you. And you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies, so that they had dominion over them. Yet, when they turned and cried to you, you heard from heaven, and many times you delivered them according to your mercies, and you warned them in order to turn them back to your law. Yet they acted presumptuously and did not obey your commandments, but sinned against your rules, which if a person does them, he shall live by them. And they turned a stubborn shoulder and stiffened their neck and would not obey. Many years you bore with them, and warned them by your spirit through your prophets, yet they would not give ear. Therefore you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the lands. Nevertheless, in your great mercies you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. Now therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love, let not all the hardship seem little to you that has come upon us upon our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all your people, since the time of the kings of Assyria until this day. Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully, and we have acted wickedly. Our kings, our princes, our priests, and our fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments and your warnings that you gave them, even in their own kingdom, and amid your great goodness that you gave them, And in the large and rich land that you set before them, they did not serve you or turn from their wicked works. Behold, we are slaves this day. In the land that you gave to our fathers to enjoy its fruit and its good gifts, behold, we are slaves. And its rich yield goes to the kings whom you have set over us because of our sins. They rule over our bodies and over our livestock as they please, and we are in great distress. Because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing On the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. This is the word of the Lord. So we had talked about with the Feast of Booths yesterday in chapter 8, going back to verse 9. This day is holy to Yahweh your God. Do not mourn or weep. That time for grieving their sin, that they did not keep the law of God, that time was upon them, or it would be, and it is now in our text today. So they were not supposed to grieve while they celebrated the feast, but now that the feast is over, that time of grief has come. And they 
spent much of that feast of booths reading the law. And they were reading from it day by day all the way through. And now, well, now they're going to read it some more, as we see in the text. So we are on the 24th day of the month. The Feast of Booths concluded on the 22nd. There are no more holy days on the calendar until they get to the first month of the year. So the first month and the seventh month are filled with holy days. The rest of them are not. In a similar sense in the church today, we have really Christmas and Easter are the two major ones. There's not as much d- distance between them on the calendar as there was for, for the original Jewish calendar here. We have our two major celebrations as well. So we find them at the very start of this assembled. They're fasting, which is a sign of grief and repentance, and also for the purpose of being heard by Yahweh in their prayers. They're wearing sackcloth, which is a sign of humility, really. Uh, it's a thing of, of grief wherever it shows up in Scripture. You put on sackcloth and you sit in ashes, which is actually described a little differently in the next phrase, with earth on their heads. When do we do this? That's a question for your kids. I mean, you could talk about grief in general. When do we grieve? And that's a sad thing about American society today is that we we really don't grieve very much or we're expected not to grieve. Grieving is part of what happens to us as sinners. We are broken. Our lives are broken. Our friends are broken. And the people we care about die. And if we ignore grief... We do so to our own ill. So when, where I was going with the question for your kids, though, when, when do we do this? When do we put ashes, dust, earth on our heads? See if they can come up with the tradition of Ash Wednesday, celebrated by the church as the beginning of the season of Lent, which is a season of repentance and grief and sorrow over our sins, just as this chapter is for the people of Israel. They celebrated the feast, now they weep and confess. We might almost expect it to happen in the opposite direction, right? You you weep and confess, the Lord forgives you, and so you celebrate. There's truth to that in paradise. We We will have spent our weeping and confessing, and we will get to rejoice and celebrate with God forevermore. But there's a back and forth now, as we do both. Their feasting actually, in a way, mirrors what they say in verse 25, recognizing how their fathers ate but rejected God anyway. So here they have celebrated, but they're sinners, and they realize they have failed to keep the law. So there's some good here in their their faithfulness as they're seeing this. They're seeing their need to repent, and they're repenting. This is good. So... In verse 2, they say they're confessing for their sins and the sins of their fathers. Now, noteworthily here, confessing for the sins of your fathers does no good. And we're not even talking about before other men, as some people make a big deal of today. You can, I mean, I'm just not touching that one here. This is about confessing your sin before God. Read Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 20. And that's all you need 
to see that they didn't need to do this, and you don't need to do this. In fact, really you shouldn't do it, because your father's sins are not your own, and the soul who sins is the soul who dies. Now, we all die because we all sin, but you're not held responsible for what sins your father committed, nor are you held responsible for the sins your children will commit. You are responsible for your sins and yours alone in that regard. So they read from the book of the law for a quarter of the day. Now, honestly, I don't know if that means three hours or six hours. Three hours would be looking at the the day as the time that the sun is up. So there was evening, there was morning, the fifth day. In which case you're talking roughly 12 hours, half the day. So cut 12 into fourths and you've got three hours. But if you're talking about the full 24-hour window, as in a day, one single day, then you're looking at six hours here, which they already had the book of the law read to them for a set of six hours this month, right? Back on the the first day of the month. And now they're doing it again. Then they spend another quarter of the day in confession and worship. And we get a sizable portion of their confession here. If this is the sixth hour thing, then the entirety of the time that they're awake, really, from the time they get up in the morning until the time they're going to bed at night, pretty much most of that entire time is spent in this verse, reading God's word, confessing and worshiping an entire day. Certainly possible. Then we get a a phrase of praise as they begin to address God in verse 5. Praising him for being everlasting. This is good. Praising his name. Lifting him up. Exalting him above all things. We're going to get several accounts here over the next several uh, paragraphs, I should say. The first one, verses 6 through 8, is going to be coming out of the book of Genesis. It starts with creation from Genesis 1, that the Lord has created all these things. He created heaven. He created the hosts of heaven, the sun, the moon, and the stars. He created the earth. He created everything on it, created the sea and everything in it, and he actively preserves all of them. We would look at that as the first article of the creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty. And then think of your small catechism's response to what that means and how God preserves, how he provides for us as his people. We can also see that in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, that Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. Now, then we move, sorry, the host of heaven would be the angels that worship him. Then verse 7, we move into Genesis 12, when God calls Abram to leave behind everything he knows and come to the land he will show him. And then later in that book, a few chapters down the way, he calls, he changes Abram's name to Abraham. Exalted father becomes father of many nations. The name change is a vivid reminder to Abraham, Abram, that he will have a son, and that God will keep his promise and turn that son into a great nation with many offspring, too many to be counted. And every time Abram, Abraham, hears his name spoken now and forward, 
it will be a reminder to him of the promise. He does it not just with Abram, but also with his wife, Sarai, who becomes Sarah. Doesn't seem to be a meaning change for her, but the same purpose of a reminder each and every day of God's promise, of God's grace, of his gifts. And that's a wondrous thing. He gives them, well, he credits that faithfulness for, of Abraham, and he gives them the covenant. So we're talking Genesis 12 through probably roughly chapter 22 for this section. God has kept his promise, which he always does, and he is righteous, which is true, most certainly. Now, whether it's this paragraph or one of the ones coming up, talk to your kids about these Old Testament accounts. See if they know them. If they know them, let them retell them. So the things that I was able to say about why did God change Abraham's name, they might not know that. If they don't know that, share that with them. Teach them about that thing. But if they know the account, let them share it with you. There's a great chance to explore some of the major events in the Old Testament. The next paragraph is going to focus on the Exodus. So God sees the affliction of the fathers in Egypt. That's Exodus 1 and 2. There's the, the crying of the people out at the Red Sea as they're pinned down by Pharaoh. That's Exodus 14. And God performs signs and wonders against Pharaoh to rescue them. That's really chapters 7 through 12. But they acted arrogantly against, uh, that Pharaoh's army acted arrogantly against the, the Jewish people. God made a name for himself. That's Exodus 7 verse 5. He divided the sea. So now we're talking about, is that Exodus 14 again? He led them by a pillar of cloud by day and a fire by night. That's Exodus 13. So he was with them presently and guided them. Mount Sinai is Exodus 19 and onward, where God gives them his instructions, his rules for how they should live as his people. Exodus 16 gives them the daily bread um, for, from heaven, the manna to feed them, the water out of the rock to feed give them drink is Exodus 17, and they, it actually keeps going into the next paragraph that they, they don't believe. They stiffen their neck, they grumble, but he continues to forgive. He's gracious. He's slow to anger. He abounds in steadfast love. He does not forsake them. Even now, they're still around, right? The people are still there. The promise is still being fulfilled, and now we know the promise has been fulfilled in Christ for us. Even though, verse 18, they did the golden calf thing, Chapter 32 of Exodus, they were foolish. They even declared that this cow that they just built with their own hands brought them out of Egypt and saved them. Not even close. But the Lord was patient, and he forgave. For 40 years he sustained them in the wilderness. That's what we talked about yesterday as the purpose for the Feast of Booths was to remember that sustaining, that preserving. They lacked nothing. Then he's really coming out of Deuteronomy 8.4 with that last phrase, that their clothes did not wear out, their feet did not swell. Then God gave them the kingdoms. He gave them the promised land. This gets you into really the entire book of Joshua, the reference to Sihon and Og, the kings that Israel defeats along the way is Numbers 21. He multiplied their children as the stars of heaven, just like the promise to Abraham had been back in Genesis. They captured fortified cities, even though they didn't have horses to, you know, have cavalry. They didn't have really swords of their own. They weren't an equipped army. The Lord gave them things. They ate and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in goodness. This is an opportunity to talk about what you're thankful for.
and to ask your children what they're thankful for. Because by giving thanks to the Lord each and every day, we build in ourselves that idea of contentment. And think of it as a muscle. When you, when you use it, you're building it. To be content is a wondrous thing for the Christian because it, it helps us to not covet others. It helps us to not reject what the Lord gives and to, to instead cherish these things. They were full and they rejected God. We have that same temptation among us because we are so abundant in what we have in our land. So give thanks as a safeguard, a shield against that temptation. We see how they rebelled. They killed the prophets to the point where Jesus talks about Jerusalem in the New Testament as the city that kills the prophets. And they killed him too. They would not listen to the words of the prophets, and so God gave them into their hands of the enemies. This is a reference to the book of Judges, which is a cycle. They sin, they rebel against God, so he gives them over to oppression. They repent, he hears their crying out, he sends a judge, a deliverer, who saves them, gives them a time of peace, and in that time of peace they sin and rebel against him again. The whole thing starts over. You can take your kids to the book of Judges and just kind of walk your way through it and try to count how many judges were there in those roughly 300 years for the people of Israel that that book covers. Let's see. We are over time here, so skipping ahead. It's a merciful God, a gracious God. So much here in their confession that that rejoices in God and praises God for who he is and what he does for them. This is good and something for us to learn by example and to imitate as we confess our sins to praise the Lord. And so they turn finally to themselves here. Let not our hardship seem little to you. You know what they are going through, O Lord. You know what our kings have done. They haven't kept your law. We are slaves this day. The land you gave our fathers, we are slaves here. Help us. Rich, the riches of the the land are given over to the kings that rule over us. It's actually a nice little way to phrase it um, in verse 37 that government, even today, even though we think of it as good, government is a reminder from the Lord that we rebelled against him. And that will always be the case until Christ comes again and sets up that government that is a great government of peace. Um, Thinking Isaiah 9, uh, that the end of his governance, there there will be no end. Let us praise the Word incarnate, Christ who suffered in our place. Jesus died and rose victorious, that we may know God by grace. Let us sing for joy and gladness, seeing what our God has done. Let us praise the Oh,